Hey there, and welcome to Pink Squirrels, brought to you by Sapia AI, your guide to the future of HR, HR tech, and big HR ideas. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Pink Squirrels. This week, Barb and I are joined by Rich Lewis-Jones, who is the APAC Regional Director at Smart Recruiters. We're thrilled to talk to Rich because, first of all, he's a really interesting guy with a wealth of knowledge on HR tech and recruitment, and second, because Sapia and Smart Recruiters have just minted a brand new partnership based on the integration of our Smart Interviewer with the Smart Recruiters Marketplace. Everything's just super smart, as you can tell. We talked with Rich about his passions, people, process, technology, transformation. You'll want to pay close attention, particularly if you're starting to look at improving the sophistication of your HR tech, because Rich has some helpful pointers. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. First question for you, looking through the lens of smart recruiters and the amount of data that it has available to it, what's going on right now in recruitment? What's going on right now in HR tech? I'm really keen to know from your perspective. So let's start there. Yeah, I think um, what's been really interesting with the market um, over the last three years, none of us have been a fan of the pandemic, but my God, has it um, accelerated um, the importance um, of certain topics. So I think at the start of the pandemic, when we were looking at um, hundreds of thousands, millions of people being sort of displaced out of jobs around the world, companies were being flooded with um, applications for um, for new jobs, people finding themselves out of work. And I think what was very quickly identified by so many businesses was just the lack of infrastructure that they had to be able to actually deal with the level of applications that they were um, dealing with um, across people, process and technology. I think um, most, you know, shoot me for being the worst salesman in the world, but I don't think technology is the silver bullet. It never always is. So actually having, um, yeah, having uh, technology in place is important, but obviously also having the people and the process in place to be able to help deal with the level of applications that were coming through is incredibly important. So what's really interesting now, obviously, is at the opposite end of the pandemic, um, businesses now are struggling to secure talent um, through highly competitive um, marketplaces. I think um, businesses have still struggled to get the investment into technology to be able to help secure or grab talent as it lands on a brand's careers page. I think what you guys do at Sapio is amazing in terms of blending automated candidate experience and actually giving candidate feedback to walk away with in an automated fashion, but deep detailed feedback, right? And I think um, that's the biggest thing that I've seen um, for quite some time is just this inadequate tech stack that businesses have had. So I've been spending a lot of my time over the last two years educating buyers on how do we build a business case for change that a CFO is actually going to turn around and say, hey, how do we, yeah, let's absolutely invest into this because this is actually going to impact our business. And how, Rich, can I ask, because I think that's a big opportunity for TA and also for HR is to be more data-driven and to be mm-hmm. more commercial and present their stories in a really commercial way. And like when you're presenting a business case for an ATS, like what are the, what, are, what is the business case? Like how do, yep. how do organisations measure that? Yeah, I th- I'm spending a lot of time at the moment with, Um, talent acquisition leaders um, talking to them about um, if you're looking if you need to go up to c-suite to pitch for investment you need to be talking their language 
So we're actually talking a lot of the time about how you are going to impact or how you're being impacted currently from an operating expenditure, sort of capital expenditures side of things. So what I mean by that is lots of businesses are using technology where there is, you know, anything from like um, high ongoing configuration costs. There is a ludicrous amount of money being spent on recruitment agencies because that's just the easy thing to do. It's a knee-jerk reaction because talent teams have been stripped out. Um, and then there's also the, you know, we all saw it was during the pandemic, start the pandemic, and even now people are posting on job boards and just thinking candidates are just going to come out the woodwork. So it's, we're actually doing a lot of educating on where, where are you actually going to find talent? Do you actually have the right thing in, in place to secure them when they actually come through to your brand? And I think one of the things I was talking to someone about yesterday was show a CEO how your revenue is being impacted by not having the right talent in your business and they will give you the investment you need to go and get them. So so do you, do you feel like there are three standard metrics that are that are sort of the guiding principles you talk to customers about, you know, like um you know, does it does having an ATS make a difference to time to hire and and what difference does that make to the business? Does having yeah. having an ATS mean that you're um you know, your win rate increases because you're able to move people along faster. And that's important when you're competing for great talent. Like, you know, what I, I, I love to drill it down to the specific KPIs. Yeah. Um, I'd just be curious if you think there are three that kind of cut across all industries and most, most yeah. use cases. I, I think um, not necessarily a metric, but I think lots of people now are really starting to look at, uh, when you look at um, talent acquisition teams, it's just how productive are they being? God, like automate the mundane. Like it's, there's, there's so much that talent teams are spending a hell of a lot of time on that can be automated, whether it's everything from interview scheduling to, um, uh, God, it could be running assessment centers. It could be anything. Uh, there's a huge amount of things that um, businesses at the moment just aren't, um, are just wasting time on. So from an interview and, scheduling and, and standpoint. Why, why are they so slow to change? You know, I often use the analogy of, like I think when you're hiring, you're making a decision of risk, right? And so you de-risk that by doing interviews, by having assessments and so on. And, um, you know, there are other businesses that live on risk to make decisions like banks. Am I going to lend Rich some money? You know, is he a good bet? Is he going to pay back? Do I bring you into the branch and interview you as a bank, rank, as a bank manager? Do I get everyone in the branch to kind of check in and go, is Rich a good guy? You know, is he someone we can trust? Do I ask you these inane questions and then I say, look, we'll get back to you in about three weeks? I mean, like, that's really how mm -hmm. most recruitment still works. And if you were a business operating in another sector, you you know, yeah. you really were competing and you are competing for talent, you, you'd yeah. be out of business. So why isn't recruitment, you know, just jumping at the opportunity to automate yeah. the mundane? I, I think it's been a slow burn, but um, most businesses... Up and I think again the the pandemic has helped accelerate it um, the conversation going forward. But most businesses have viewed talent acquisition teams as a cost center, um, and it's been a race to the bottom, faster, cheaper, rather than actually investing in how do we make this. You know, I, more and more people I'm speaking to now, Barbara, looking and you and I know this from BCG, right? This human centered design approach, really starting to dig into how do we make this process from the moment a candidate engages with our brand, wherever that might be, 
through to day one, even now like three, six months, nine months into their job. How do we make this a process that is fulfilling, but at the same, well, fulfilling, enjoyable, engaging? How do we make sure that we're assessing them right? Um, and then also making sure that we're securing them. And then now it's the retaining of them as well. And I think what's really interesting is, because I talked about this yesterday, but we were talking about there seems to have massive, been a huge disconnect between how well you assess and process candidates during a hiring process to how well you actually ended up retaining them as well. And I think now, only now, in the last year maybe, in my opinion, uh, people are really starting to connect the two, which is why I think we've also seen a rise in you know, internal mobility, these talent, talent marketplaces and pieces like that. But the assessment has to be right up front um, because I think if you're really kind of drilling into that um, and actually giving candidates a, a fair assessment of your business, you're giving getting a fair assessment of them, um, it really impacts the, their actual retaining, the retaining of them. So what do you think? I think there's one big driver, not the only driver of why recruitment is not innovating and automating mm-hmm. where they should, is that this strong belief, which I now think is a myth, or I know it to be a myth because I can see the data, that candidates want humans and only humans can make decisions about humans. And um, what we see from candidates who know that this is AI um, yeah. is this is frigging awesome, right? This is really easy, convenient. I take my time. I do it whenever I want. I'm at, It's midnight. I'm in my PJs. Yeah. Um, I get feedback. I get my job within yeah. a day. Like, awesome. I don't yeah. need to speak to anyone. Like, not all of our clients use our technology like that. But there is this incredible attachment to humans um, being in the process, which obviously humans don't scale. Um, no. <laughs> humans are horribly biased. You know, that's part of why we're still around. So, um, you know, I think that, I don't know if you're finding that, like people's reluctance to yeah. reimagine their it's- own role. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting, right? I think again, when you look at candidate experience and compare it to com- consumer, customer kind of experience, people are getting more. I, I remember I was one of those people. I rolled my eyes when a chatbot came up on the Telstra page or something like that to talk to me. I'm a, I just want to talk to somebody. Whereas now they've just this is going back a few years. Now they've just become more and more intuitive, more human like, and people are actually becoming more okay with it and leaning into it because you know we've. Like you've got the assessment side of things. We have a chatbot ourselves as well that partners with your tech um, incredibly well. This sits on the front end of our customers' um, career pages and answers up to 80% of career page FAQs. It gets smarter over time. It works 24-7 around the clock. So to your point, we've got um, people sitting on the bus on the way home from work after a terrible shift and they start looking for jobs. And this thing, right, you know, at the start of the pandemic again, the chatbot would have been there to flood, uh, field floods of applications to protect the talent acquisition team's time. At this end of the pandemic, our chatbot now is grabbing people by the scruff of the neck um, and they're landing on a careers page at 11 o'clock at night, jumping out, talking to them and pulling them in and then landing in a sapia assessment at that time at night whilst the talent acquisition team is sleeping. Unfortunately, talent acquisition teams, what we all do, we all need to sleep at some point. So um, I'm with a... You know, businesses, again, looking at global workforces, remote working, all these things. Why not have a chatbot or a tool like yourselves um, that does this deep analytical assessments of people that can work 24-7 around the clock? You're just going to open yourself up to a whole new... Yeah. 
I mean, we've point. done an analysis, I'm sure you have too, of when people apply for jobs and we can see that our interviewer, most of the interviews it's doing, uh, it's not doing during business hours, it's doing it oh, yeah. business hours. So think of all the talent that you'd miss out on if you were only using people to do that. Um, we had a customer yesterday report 91% of the chatbot engagement was, out, was outside of office hours. Yeah. Average is about seventy six percent. That's a that's a user story you can't really argue with, Rich. No. I, I want to ask you about um, you know when, when you're going into companies and, and you're educating them or build, helping them to build a business case. Mm. Um, I I'm interested in where interviewing comes into the process and how that works, and in particular with an ATS, but also given you know that the fact that Sapia assists with that particular part of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we found. Um, from a recent report that we released in conjunction with Aptitude Research is that something like 50% of companies or 33% of companies are not confident in their interview process and 50% of lost talent due to a poor interview process. Um, I'm sure that if we extrapolate that across the entire globe, the rate's probably much higher. So when it comes into to educating a company around getting the most effective use out of an ATS, you know, how do you go about the interview piece and what, what are the sort yeah. of the the, the things you, you see from companies about that, that express concerns with it? Yeah, I, I think um, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I worked on the talent acquisition time uh, side of things. And I didn't have an interview scheduling tool and I didn't have an ATS. It was manual back and forth on a spreadsheet when I was doing it. And, oh, my God, it's a pain in the ass, right? It is back and forth with candidates, back and forth with hiring managers, and it is a huge time suck. You times that by 10 or 14 people. You know, there's banks out there that have just got huge interview scheduling teams and they are just, and you can imagine it's just a battle. Mm. You just, you start looking at salaries, how much time is being wasted. And especially when we're looking at the, when I'm talking to people about automation and automating the mundane and freeing up people's time, there were so many people saying, we're struggling to get talent acquisition people. And I was like, well, you've got four people doing interview scheduling. There's technology out there that will do it for you and it will do it in, three or five times the faster, uh, 24 hours around the clock, why don't you just, rather than lay off those people, like your CFO is probably telling you to do, upskill them, turn them into resources, turn them into project people, you know, just do something with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, I think it's a complete, you can almost, with like looking at when you're automating the mundane and looking at building that business case, you can really lift your talent team. Um, we talk about right. that, you know, that the AI is, is it's not so much that AI is going to take your job, right? It's that the <laughs> managers and TA and recruiters who use AI will replace the, the managers and recruiters that don't use AI because yeah. it's a really powerful co-pilot. It's like having a recruiter on steroids to do the shit work that you don't want to do, but also do a lot of the really quality stuff in a much more consistent way. And I, I think the big cost of hiring is not the recruiter cost. It's actually the invisible cost of interviews and all the time that hiring managers get sucked into it. Yep. That was mm. for me what led me to really start this, which is working at REA and my boss, the CEO, saying, you know, we're not going to deliver our roadmap because the engineers are spending so much time recruiting. And we worked out that it was 100 hours of engineering time to recruit one engineer because they're all having these coffee chats because they all want to make sure that everyone loves this new engineer that they're going to hire, which also, yeah. by the way, leads to mirror hiring, doesn't fix diversity. Yeah. And so, you know, it was like a business imperative to say we need to have an intervention here to change the way we're doing this. And I think very few recruiters and heads of TA actually understand the cost of hiring organisationally and how many hours 
of people yep. spending. And so one of the key metrics that we use is the yield and the hit rate, which is if your managers, if you're going to put, you know, three people in front of a manager, you want them all to be rock stars. You want to give a gold medal to everyone and go, oh my God, I don't know how to choose. I love them all. Right. And yep. so you've got to measure that because if you're having to put 10 in front of them to get one offer, that is a massive waste of time. And you yep. quantify that against five hires, suddenly you've got a week, you know, that's been spent in hiring. Like that to me is the great um, cost and the invisible yep. cost of hiring is not yep. not putting the right people in front of them and, and you know, having really low hit rates or, or offer rates. So do you, um, so we, we use the term hiring as a team sport. Right. It's because it's and it's a business responsibility. It's not talent acquisitions responsibility. What I like about what you guys do is obviously your your AI can help give a deeper analysis automatically. Essentially, that's my Cocker Spaniel trying to kill my other Cocker Spaniel, I'm afraid. Um, that's Baz and Brian. Welcome to the family. Um, they. Um, so, yeah, you've got uh, your, your platform, obviously, will do an assessment of a candidate up front, give them uh, the, the assessment to themselves. Um, but then also, if there is a need, and perhaps there isn't, like you say, from a time-saving perspective, time, time saving perspective, apologies, um, the, uh, the hiring manager, rather than the entire team, could obviously then sit down and have a much more deep and meaningful conversation. So it's, yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree with yeah. you. I think there are and it's, it's, it's the co-pilot to the recruiter by saying, mm -hmm. don't spend your time screening and doing phone calls. Let yep. the technology do it for you. Do the bit that only you as a human can do really well, which is the, you know, really strategic sourcing. And then it's also a co-pilot to the hiring mm -hmm. manager because I really strongly believe that we need to equip hiring managers with more intelligence and help them make smarter decisions and help them just be smart about who yeah. they hire. So we don't like to say, hey, you should hire Rich. What we like to do is say, here's what Rich is. Here's his strengths. Here's some things that you might want to know about him. And, you know, here's some questions you might ask given what you're looking for. And so you end up just, you know, helping them get a much more um, uh, authentic view of the candidate to make a better decision. Like for me, it's yeah. about the, the sort of the seer, not the answer. Um, and that, that's the real game changer, I think, of our tech is mm. it empowers hiring managers to be smart. Yeah, the mm. um, term we use is an it's an enabler, not a replacer. Mm. Yeah, but, and I think that's the like you say there, there is this underlying fear that technology is there to take my job, but it's not. It's actually just going to make you better at doing it um, oh, and, and smarter, right? Like who doesn't yeah, make smarter result. decisions about people in your team? You know, it's not an easy thing, and they just because they've got a skill set doesn't mean they're going to work out. There are so many other cultural factors that you're trying to solve for. So I feel yeah. like, you know, I say to my kids, like the reason you go to school is to think, to learn how to think. And I think that's the same thing we're trying to do with the tech is we're trying to help hiring managers think with some useful yep. intelligence about what's the right thing for me to do. Not take away that decision, but make it, you know, a, 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 you know, a more empowered decision. Mm. Yeah, love it. Rich, how have you taking the temperature of the market or the the people that you work with and, and the other experts in, in HR and talent acquisition that you work with, how are you seeing the attitudes towards AI more generally change? You know, do mm -hmm. are people still I, I mean, we know there's a lot of reluctance out there. We know that that's sort of yeah. inborn to a degree, but um it's getting better. I mean, what are you seeing? Are people still reluctant yeah. to adopt AI? I uh, without picking on 
people uh i i think that people are actually yeah, people are getting much more they're leaning into it a lot more right i think uh, right. what's really interesting and again we're i'm certainly being bolder in the conversations that i'm having is i'm like this isn't nice to have anymore mm. this is a strategic competitive advantage if you're not going to do it guess what your competition are simple as that so i'm not trying to sell you something that's fluffy i'm not trying to send you something that just so you can say, oh, I've got AI in my business. No, it's not. This is actually going to have a deep, meaningful impact externally on your business. So it's going to help your brand reputation. Candidates are going to have a great experience. And then internally, it's going to make your teams much more effective and actually uh, impact your business at a business level, not just, a, oh, the talent acquisition team are firing on all cylinders. We all know that if you hire a better quality of talent faster and AI supports that, guess what you're going to get? revenue it's uh it's just a fact it's there's no hiding away from it so yeah i think um i think the other just the other one on that i think with ai that is a complete game changer especially now with in australia low unemployment but just the lack of candidates everywhere is just speed yeah you, you, you just you have to just move crazy fast and it's ridiculous yep. how long it still takes so mm. i would start with well why can't you make an offer why can't you get to decision in a day right? Like your process of how long it might take to get the offer out through HRS, maybe it'll take a few days, but like for a candidate to get a call back, you know, within 24 hours and go, Rich, you're frigging awesome. We want to hire you like that. You've got that, right? Speed. It's like dating. (laughs) dating. If you like you swipe and then you contact within an hour, that's it. They're going to be really pumped, right? You're probably going to get that date. So speed matters. Speed matters to productivity, Hugely. Um, I think that HR really underrates the ROI of speed. Mm. Yeah. And in in your world, right, with what you're doing, if you're giving someone uh, the ability to be able to make an assessment fast and a quality assessment of somebody and bring that quality in and get them in, that ties in like beautifully to our hiring success methodology, which we talk about, which is this higher, better quality of talent faster whilst driving budget efficiency improvements, you're going to drive revenue. It's a match made in heaven, right? It's great. So, yeah, very important. What, what do you think about, um, you mentioned earlier, the the challenge of retention now and companies really looking to, they might be downsizing. Who knows what's going to happen? Is there a you know recession or not coming? It's very uncertain, it seems, depending on who you talk to, which side of the political fence. But clearly everyone wants to retain their great talent. Like, are you seeing... People look to you and smart recruiters to play the role of a, you know, a mobility marketplace. How are you able to leverage the ATS to support internal talent mobility? Yeah. We've um, first and foremost, there's, there's great tech out there. there. There's a new hot market, talent marketplace, right? There's some incredible platforms out there. Um, you've probably seen the rise of Rejig and Gloat. Uh, those guys are doing great things around the mobility space. Um, there's, I think, um, what's really interesting in that particular space, um, or just in general, I think, is lots with the borders shutting, especially in Australia, to your point, Barb, people were looking at, right, how do we utilise the people that we've got here? Um, and there's almost been this, you know, I think, obviously, the rising gig workers, I think the other day I saw there was 40, the total market is now 40%, 47% of gig workers, huge. Mm. Um 
So um, we as a business have absolutely seen a rise in customers coming towards us, sort of saying, what do we do? How do we utilize smart recruiters from a, um, an internal mobility standpoint? And they're using things like our CRM for internal mobility talent communities. We've got an employee portal that people can sign up for internal job alerts. We've got customers using our um, chatbot with QR codes as murals in their um, office cafeterias that people can scan and talk to a chatbot to apply for internal jobs. So people are really starting to look at, um, and I think you'll, um, you've probably heard this yourself, uh, the reason why uh, there was such a bad retention problem is it was actually easier to go and find a job elsewhere than it was in your own company, which is just it's mind It's also, also easier to find talent elsewhere than find it into Yeah, yeah. mind-boggling. Mm. So we're working really hard to help kind of connect the dots on using, uh, making it easier as much for external candidates as you are for internal. Um, and I think... Um, you know, those platforms like Gloat and Rejig are doing some great stuff with looking at the data, who's likely to leave, um, what skills do people have? So skills is obviously the rise of skills has been huge. So um, there's people, um, I think we saw at the start of the pandemic with the redeployment stuff. It's huge. Yeah, I have a bit of a provocative view on that, which is I think, you know, everyone's looking for the same people um, and the amount of ready-made skills from a segment point of view, just is not it's not growing fast enough. I think there's some crazy number like Australia needs another six million tech workers over the next few years. Um, they're not coming out of our universities. So reality is that we're working with businesses where they're part of a consortium going into African countries, which have populations of a hundred million, to identify potential people who can be trained as tech workers, and then looking yep. at skilling them up and um, you know creating a million plus uh, from a capacity point of view, really more of a long-term view on capacity. Yep. And and I came from BCG where it was all about high for values, trained for skills. And if you find people who have got hustle and good critical thinking and, you know, um, humble and and crazy learners, you can, you can make them do anything you want, right? So I, I think that's obviously what our technology does. I think there's a there's just a huge amount of undiscovered potential because people can't look past a role title. Um, and, you know, what makes a product manager? Ex-strategy consultants make brilliant product managers. Um, yeah. We've got half a dozen people in our team who are in roles that there's no way they'd be hired for. I would never be hired for the role that I'm in. Um, right. So I think there's something around looking past labels, you know, and, yeah. and looking at the core of someone and what are they capable of? Um, what yeah. kind of environment, would, you know, can you unleash them into? And that's, that's sort of innate, you know, innate qualities to a person. I agree. Um, it's going to be very interesting. I was at a breakfast last week or the week before. Um, I'm just talking about the immediate talent shortage problem right now. Some of the stats that they, the, the gentleman that um, uh, shared on the at the breakfast with the group was that um, in about 12 months time, 12 to 18 months time, our actual um, the employment numbers are going to sort of balance out again, and there's going to be this kind mm. of influx of people. To build, people are building trust again with coming to Australia. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see. There's this massive focus on skills or not so much skills at the moment. It's or you know outside, like you say, not the role type. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see how many businesses actually what the what happens from a balance perspective with that. So once the floodgates open, will we go back to our knee jerk reaction of how many businesses will continue to look at the untapped opportunity of people, which I quite rightly think they should. Um, or will they just kind of turn back round to the kind of 
I need a JavaScript yeah, developer. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to look at a JavaScript developer. Yeah. There was a, so, a Harvard article that talked about 30 million people in the US as a hidden talent pool. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, um, uh, I, I, yeah, I just think there's there's such an opportunity to get past our own biases. Like we're so attached to labels. I had a conversation a while back now, didn't go very far with a major global tech company who said we're really struggling to find people, we need to move faster, we need to differentiate our candidate experience. And I said, well, how do you think about success? Like what do you look for? Well, we only hire people who come from the top five universities in the US. And so I said, well, how's that working for you? Um, Because (laughs) if you just keep fishing in the same pool, you know, guess what? That's not very creative. And it just amazed me that such a sophisticated business still thinks in such a traditional way, you know, Yep. Did you go to Melbourne Grammar or Sydney Grammar? And, you know, there's still that around uh, Australia. So, you know, I think it's for all of us as humans, how do we sort of challenge people to look beyond um, skin colour, name, pedigree, yep. right? I've always thought yeah, CV is a proxy for advantage more than anything else rather than potential. Yeah, 100%. Completely agree. It's going to be, yeah, I think the next couple of years will be quite interesting. Just as things kind of evolve and shape up again borders are opening people are building trust with travel political plays all sorts it's going to be so interesting to actually see what happens with the movement of talent um you know what did i see today apple announcing that they want everyone back in the office by the 5th of september that's going to be interesting <laughs> mm, that's a bit of a 180 though isn't it apple what, were oh, among yeah. those saying yeah. yeah it's and you know fair play that's what they're that's their, what they're doing that's what they're doing so it's just Big shifts of talent everywhere. I think, you know, businesses are still working out what do we need to do to be more productive. Talent still work. Which, I think the, which means I think that, like, the more you can embed as an organisation a, a less a less high-friction way of moving people in and out, mm. like if you just accept that as a fact, right, that yep. you're just going to have constant mobility. Like, there's, yep. like, a structural mobility now. We're just going to have Gen Z working from home, you know, mobility. And so how do you set up the system so you've got the least amount of friction possible so that you can scale up and down? And that's where technology is obviously your friend, but also really recognising that the process needs to shift um, to be able to move with less friction. Yeah, not gone are the days, Barb, of if they want to work for us, they'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> Companies are still doing it, though. It blows mm. my mind. Let's do a nine-stage interview process to test their engagement. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, no, don't do that. Yeah. It's, um, it's mind-boggling. Like, and that, that's just the basics, right? Then there's bringing in the, the likes of you guys to really kind of deepen that analysis of people up front so we can make it faster. We love to do it. Rich, I have a question for you in particular. With, with growing your own hiring team, how's that going? How are you, how are you finding it right now? Building an empire. What do you mean? It's not a team, it's an empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, good. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in... Um, you know, I used to work in talent acquisition and I think one of the best things talent acquisition teams can do is nurture. So even, you know, I'm not going to say names, but I've got three people in my team now that worked for a competitor before, um, you know, and working for a good competitor as well. And I've just kept close to them, built relationships over long periods of time. We're talking like four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I always believe that it's never anyone that I speak to or that reaches out and says, hey, can we have a conversation? It's never a no, so not right now. Because um, you never know when you're going to need them. And, you know, I'm to Barb's point, 
now got this absolutely super solid team behind me, but I've not had to go to agencies. I've not had to spend any money on job boards. And I think it's just been through some very basic kind of like networking, introductions, keeping in touch. Um, it's great that we've got great product. Um, yeah, that do does help. Do they want to come work for me? I don't know. They said they did. But... <laughs> well, I think that's the, um, I was speaking with Kim Sealing-Smith on, on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and she talked yeah. about, treating talent acquisition as business development, thinking about it as a sales and marketing play more so than a, you know, traditionally talent acquisition play. And I think that's what you're doing, right? Like by not saying not now, but, you know, someday um, and cultivating talent over four years. I mean, you know, if I had a marketing strategy that I said to Barb might pay off in four years, I think she'd say, well, maybe a bit quicker, but that's the way to think about it, right? That's <laughs> that's yeah. the way to think about it. Uh, yeah, I I. I believe that hiring is a long play in the sense that you go out and you can nurture and I think I have this thing I sort of call ABX so always be engaging always be attracting um, and as long as you've got the technology there so we've got customers right that um, which has been really interesting to see some of our large enterprise customers now ahead of putting their live jobs on their site listed they're now actually saying, hey, here's all the talent communities that you could potentially sign up for. So it's if you're interested in a job in sales or product or technical, or they're able to sign up for these communities. But then obviously behind that, there's technology behind it that's with a recruitment marketing or employer branding team that's then automatically nurturing them, saying here's all the cool stuff that we're doing in sales and here's a great thing in women in technology and keeping them warm and just keeping them engaged, monitoring that engagement and then when it comes to actually um, needing those people, you can automatically move them into a job, assess them appropriately, and then bring them in immediately. But so I, think, it's, I think what you've sort of described there, Rich, about yourself is you've built a bit of a brand around what it is to be in Rich's team, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what you have to do in recruitment is you have to build a story around what is it to work with me, to work with this team, to work with this company. Like mm-hmm. the one thing that I think there is, um, just a real sense of urgency for recruitment is to bring in recruitment marketing as a mindset in recruitment yep. teams. And, you know, the other is to recognise that the experience is the brand. So, like, if you manage to woo three people in and they said, yeah, I really want to work with you, and then you put them through some torturous process, I'm sorry, you have to go through nine interviews and we'll probably take five weeks to get back to you, they wouldn't, you know, it would, take, it would be a long stretch for them to hold on. And so, you know, there's kind of this complete dissonance between what the brand is, right? Like we say we're a great place to work and then we're going to put you through this awful process um, and you're going to lose half the people as a result. But no one seems to look at that as a thing that is massively symbolic of the brand. So I don't know what you're seeing in that, but we're finding we're doing a lot of consulting with companies about when you're investing in great tech, use it to your advantage to show that mm-hmm. you've got this amazing, easy, fast experience and that's going to set you apart from everyone else, right? Like you don't yeah. need to spend half a million dollars on a recruitment marketer if you actually have the right tools and technologies in place, right? It'll do it for you. Yeah, yeah well, I think that's the, um, from a workflow standpoint, one of the things that we spend a lot of time when we're demoing our products, we've got what's called automation workflows, from, and you sit. This sits behind the, the um, hiring process design. So let's just say, as an example, we've got a shared customer that um, falls. They fall into the assessment. They complete the assessment, and then particular action needs to be taken once they've done your assessment, which could be 
further a meeting, it could be going into background checks, reference checks, all of those things can be automated automatically once certain actions have been done. So the candidate's still getting automated communication about what's going on. The talent acquisition team have oversight of what's happening. Their hands are actually free and they're spending more time with internal stakeholders and the candidates that get to that sort of like back end of the system or back end of the process. So like you say, it's again, it's using technology to drive process, but using it as an enabler, not a replacer. So yeah. where do you want to be spending more time? And it's with the candidates that are the ones that you want to get across the line and also the, the internal stakeholders making sure you're getting the right briefing. Mm. Rich, there's a final question for you. What is Smart Recruiters working on right now that's got you particularly excited? Candidate cloners, teleporters. No, I'm joking. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> um, we're looking at a lot into the automation space even further. Um, so we're doing a lot of work around how we can improve um, the process from start to finish. I think um, unlike... Lots of vendors out there in our space. Um, lots of systems are built for recruiters or with recruiters in mind. Uh, and again, we talk a lot about hiring as a team sport. So we're making it easy for sysadmins to configure the platform on the fly, zero costs and configuration. We're looking at um, talent teams to be able to, once they've made the decision, they want to use Sapia, um, Sapia, sorry, Bob, in the... Um, in the uh, in the workflow, they can easily configure it themselves. We're looking at mm-hmm. making it easy for hiring managers to be notified in the palm of their hand on a hiring app so they can take the appropriate action. I'm an employee. I want to look at internal mobility. I want to look at jobs. Easy, Everything's just easier to access. So to Barb's point, um, a lot of the stuff we're looking at is, yes, automation, but it's, it's speed to actually being able to take that action across all types of users. Um, and and user-friendly right like it just Mm. you know i think creating technology that's really human for people hey i've got to ask you rich with the smart with the chat that you've built the one that effectively does interview scheduling it's different to our smart chat uh obviously as you know um so where does that leave your customers who are using paradox does that effectively take care of what paradox might do and is that a maybe an impolitic question to ask but i was curious because i think it seems yeah. like a number of ATSs have effectively create that functionality because mm. it is something that you can do through engineers. It doesn't require a you know a, a, a sort of a science yeah. things like well, ours does. Similar yeah. products. Um, I think the the key differentiator, right, is what we're seeing with people that are buying our ATS CRM onboarding solution, SmartPal, which is the chatbot that sits on the front. It's consistency in UI and UX. Mm. Um, there's less, um, much less friction with IT around integrations, um, the cost of integrations. Uh, there's less logins for candidates and whatnot. So there's this seamless flow from at the moment they engage with us on our career site, all the way through to, um, all the way through to the um, the signing and of contracts, or even leading up to sort of their offer, sort of day one through our onboarding solution. So. Very similar products. Um, it just depends on what businesses are looking for. Now, what we're actually finding, and I won't mention brand names, but um, is there's lots of businesses now that talent acquisition teams have been lumped with um, the HCM recruiting modules, let's put it that way. So CIOs have demanded full suite, um, and talent acquisition teams have been told 
that's great. It, well, you know, don't complain. Take the recruiting module. It didn't come out of your budget. It came out of ITs. What's what's wrong with you? TA have kind of said, okay, they've done a two-year rollout. They've turned it on. They've realized it's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it's realized it's a nightmare. It's not fit for purpose. The business's aggressive hiring targets don't match up with the tools that they're using. What's the next solution? It's what I, everyone, people are calling it augmentation on, on those systems. I call it putting lipstick on the pig. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, you're a candidate on one end getting this amazing experience. And then the recruiters are still having to use those systems. It is an absolute nightmare. I spoke to someone this week that said, um, Rich, I need you to get me a new job because we've just rolled out this HCM recruiting module. We've been live four months. I've got 145 change request tickets in the backlog with IT. You could do those on your by yourself in smart recruiters on the fly. Mm. At no cost. Yeah. So big yeah. talent teams are just being given a thankless task with those systems. And then unfortunately, those you can put all these tools on top, but it it's just a completely um, disparated experience. And it leaves people confused. Um, and it gets expensive, very, very yeah. expensive. And I, I don't know that it's a lot of businesses, like what I'm finding is that I get that some really large companies need these big, heavy systems, but I'm surprised at how many mid-tier companies and relatively small companies mm. use these heavy systems um, yep. that, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think they could get away with something that's far more sort of lo-fi um, yeah. in their size and, you know, less less stress to the business and more functionality for them, more flexibility. Being um, being a bit controversial, Bob, which is, I know, is your favourite, um, the uh, one of the things that we're certainly finding from talking to more and more people, and especially in APAC, is our business is garnering more, um, credibility to push up into the sort of the, the higher end of the market. People are really starting to turn to us. This conversation I recently had was, Rich, if smart recruiters cost a million dollars, the cost and impact of change in our business is 10x that, right? So change is very disruptive on any organization, mm-hmm. small or large. And I think what's really interesting that people are starting to learn about us uh, in particular, and I think even with your tech, is we're not an 18-month rollout. We're not a... 24, two, three year uh, rollout. It's, we, you know, recently got a global bank, 55,000 employees live in five months on smart cruises. Global retail, 165,000 employees live in less than seven. Yeah, yeah. So the cost and impact on change on a business and then the ROI is huge. Yeah. So we're educating, yeah. getting on that business case. AI like, and then AI, right. It's the same thing. They're yeah. You can't lump them all into the same category. There are very different technologies in your segment mm. and the same in our segment. And um, uh, I think, um, you know, buyers are getting a lot smarter about that faster, which is yes. for both of us. I think, yeah, that's the best way to sum it up is I think people are starting to wake up to what they've been commonly known for years. So it's great to see that the heads are starting to turn and leaning yeah. on very modern tech. So it's great. Thanks for listening. Pink Squirrels is brought to you by Sapia AI, creator of the world's first AI smart interviewer. 